This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. How do you grow your real estate portfolio to $500 million? That is really a huge amount of real estate. And my guest today, Ellie Perlman, has done just that. And she's going to pull back the curtain and share all her secrets on how she did it and how she's grown uh, her real estate portfolio to this size. So Ellie, welcome. How are you today? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Really great, great to have you today. I know uh, I'm really curious just you know, how you've just been able to scale so effectively, particularly in the last year or two. I mean, you've gone from I think a couple hundred million to now 530 million. So congratulations. And I uh, just wanted to kind of ask how you have been able to do that. How have you been able to continue to scale, raise more money, do more deals and just grow your portfolio? Yeah, I think um, it's a combination of first and foremost, spending on myself, uh, meaning have you know, having the confidence to, um, really, you know, live a cushy job well, that was years ago and, um, in, in the tech industry in Los Angeles and say, Hey, I'm going to take a bet on myself and I'm going to devote a hundred percent of my time to building this company. That was the first step. Um, I've seen some sponsors that have been trying to do it while having a full-time job. And yeah, of course you can, you can do that. You can grow, but your growth is going to be slow. Um, and so that was the first decision that I made. And once, you know, you're fully devoted to your business, the second, you know, second step for me was to take another risk and not only not to get paid, um, you know, every month of being employed, but actually to write checks to other employees and hire people to help me. Um, I started by doing everything and I realized very quickly, I cannot do it all. Um, technically I can, but it wasn't that much fun. I didn't, I did not enjoy it. And I understood that I, I, my, I would scale much slower. And so hiring an acquisition team and asset management team, marketing, investor relations, all of that was actually very, very, it was a crucial decision that I've made early on. And that's also what helped me scale and grow. And the third part of it was finding the right partners. I'm not a one woman show. I have, uh, you know, a great team behind me, but I also have, you know, a, a few partners that, um, that I've been working, you know, with through the years, some partnerships were not as successful like any partnerships. And then you stick to the good partnerships, those who work, the partnerships that actually work and you do more and more and more deals with the same partners. And that's basically what I've done. Um, and together, you know, we were able to, to do large deals, 80, hundred million dollars. Um, and you gotta be okay with giving some of the control away, but also, you know, someone, you have someone to share the burden with, you have someone to brainstorm with, to, to share the, the good times and also share the pressure and the stress and, and go through the, the rougher times. So that's, I yeah. would say that's how I scaled. 
Yeah, you you mentioned a whole bunch of stuff there. I feel like just from what you shared, we could kind of delve into each of those things. But one thing you <laughs> mentioned, um, I want to get into more of your story. But uh, before we do that, you mentioned uh, just the importance of partners and the importance of when you scale, you have to find good partners. I think for me, that's been something that's really been you know really helpful for me to find the right partners. Sometimes you yeah. have a partner you work with, you don't really they say you don't really get to know somebody until you do a deal together. So you do a deal and you kind of see how you work together. And not every partnership lasts forever, but I think um, when you find good partners, you find good employees, um, it really makes a big difference. So let's talk about that for a minute. So when you, it comes to building your team, um, what are some things that you learned about building your team? And you know, did you bring on people uh, more as equity partners or as employees or kind of a combination of both? So when I was back at MIT, one of the things that they've always taught us is that the most expensive payment is equity. So when I learned how to build companies and scale and hire um, and, and lead teams and companies, you know, for me, it, it was always, you know, I could bring someone, give them a piece of the equity to underwrite deals, but normally they have a full-time job. They're not fully dedicated. And then when you do have a deal, it's a, it's a very expensive uh, employment. So, uh, you know, paycheck. So I, I prefer to actually start by hiring people. So I started hiring on a budget. And of course, as you grow, the people that were okay to get you to a certain level, it's not enough. And then you need to say, Hey, this is not working. I know you want someone, someone senior, someone more quality, and you're willing to pay more. Um, and so, yeah, I have employees, I pay them six figures or not not only one of them, but you you have to kind of take that chance and hire the right team because the ROI is insane. Once you get the right people, it's wow. it's 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 going to be extremely helpful. So I did not give equity. Um, it was always um, you know hiring people on the payroll and giving them also you know every time we close a deal, then we share we share the love, we share the honey. Um, because yeah. it's a team effort. You want everyone to still be excited um, and happy and motivated to help you close more deals because the more deals you close, the more they get paid. And that's, it's kind of an alignment of interest right there. Yeah, it is amazing too. Uh, one partner, former partner I had is, is really was saying a lot of the idea of uh, you know, we can make the pie bigger. And if we make the pie bigger, there's more for everyone. And I think that's what you said. Like you said, you share the love and that kind of thing. Um, and then also I was talking, there's actually a word um, that's been coming up in interviews a lot. And this is the word, it's the word savage, that the idea that like when someone is just fully committed, they're fully 110% in just as much as I know you are and I am to our businesses, to real estate, to working with investors and all of this. There are people that are really, really good at being an, an executive assistant or working with investor relations or working with property management. When you find people at that level of passion it's really, you know, sometimes you, have, you have definitely have to pay more sometimes to, to get them or to retain them, but it really can be valuable when you're building a team, sometimes to pay more or wait until you're ready to pay more to be able to have a really high level person rather than just getting people that are just kind of okay in that role, right? Because we've all, you know, had team members or yeah. employees or, yeah, they're okay, whatever, but, you know, it's, it really represents our brand and who we are. And so it's really part of the experience 
you know, the deal, you know, we, the, the investors experience with the deal as well as how they interact with, with people. Um, to back us up for a minute on a little bit more of your story, because you have a really interesting biography. I know you said, you know, you grew up pretty poor and for you, you, it seems, you know, just having known you over the years, last few years, you have this incredible drive to be successful. I mean, from, you know, being a, a corporate lawyer, you know, you basically managed you know, over a hundred million uh, in, you know, I think, I don't know if I was at a lawyer as a property manager, and then you transitioned, yeah. you had tech, you've just done a lot of different things. And now you've got 530 million in real estate. So can you talk to us a little bit about kind of your motivation and your drive um, and maybe kind of how your background kind of led to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I think the best gift that my parents ever gave me was, you know, the gift of poverty. And I really mean that because when you grow up poor, you don't, I at least didn't feel that it was the hardest thing, like, you know, how I would view it today, looking at poor kids. Of course, I was not raised, you know, in Africa and I did not starve. There's some really hard poverty right there. Um, but just, you know, growing up, you know, we didn't have enough money to buy food for, for everyone. So we got donations. So we were not hungry, but we needed help from the outside world. Um, I was 11 years old when I was um, cleaning for, to, to help, you know, buildings and synagogues to help my parents make a living. And you say, oh, my God, this is terrible. But when you're an 11 year old, you just take it's not different than cleaning yeah. your own house. At least that's how I experienced it. So I didn't feel like right. a victim. I never did. But I realized at some point that, you know, we are poor and I am different. And my classmates made a point to uh, remind me that I was poor and that I was different. And um, when you start understanding who you are, when you start growing a little bit, um, you know, I, I started to feel that I did not want to continue living like this, um, living this life. And I remember telling myself, standing in front of uh, our, our main door and saying, I'm one day, I'm going to be successful my future kids are not going to go through the things that I go through. And that has been the fire and the drive. I think until today. And I think even if you um, look at very wealthy, very successful people that came from nothing, there's always that little fear or that memory of being poor or that fear to go back and being poor, even though statistically it's, it's, it's very hard, you know, to get there. Um, uh, when you reach certain, you know, level of success, but it's irrational and it's always there and it guides your, your, um, you know, your decisions and how you operate and how you spend money and how you treat people around you, because you always want to keep building, keep building. You know, for me, I think, Hey, one day, this is all this success can go away. So I really want to keep, for instance, my investors happy. So they continue investing with me. I don't take it for granted that they're going to keep writing checks, you know, family offices. I don't, I, I don't assume that they're going to keep investing with me. So even if I make a little bit less today, but I keep them happy, I know that I'm building this, you know, keep growing this company and uh, in the long run, it's going to be even more successful. Um, but yeah, just, you know, just um, carrying that, those feelings and those realizations from my childhood is something that never, you know, left me. I grew up, um, um, the oldest of four kids and my parents were not working and uh, had, you know, some health issues. And we grew up six people in 
a three bedroom apartment with no living room because that was a living room was converted into it was two bedroom one of them was converted into a uh, a living room uh sorry a bedroom and a tiny kitchen and that's about it so mm-hmm. it's um i'm that maybe that's why i'm fascinated with real estate i was i i experienced all my friends you know they most of them renovated their homes and had much bigger you know homes and Ours was was just uh, it was actually a trailer that was converted into a a, a home. It wasn't an apartment; it was a trailer. It was converted into um, a home, and um, you know, seeing everyone else and seeing where we were, it's like feeling that I don't want to be I don't want to be there anymore. Um, and that that was the fire that has been uh, keep keep pushing me since then. Yeah, I can relate with that. I, I was raised by a single parent. There were four of us kids as well. And we didn't, you know, we were very middle class. And I started doing paper outs at age 14, uh, along with my mm-hmm. couple of my siblings. And, you know, I just realized like it was kind of there available if I wanted to work hard. And that's one thing I think my my dad modeled was just hard work. And so, uh, you know, if you work hard and you're willing to kind of just do the work, it's amazing what's available. So I can definitely relate with that. So talk to us about multifamily uh, in general. Why did you choose multifamily? I know you have some other real estate uh, in your background as well, but what is, what is like, what do you like most about investing in multifamily, working with multifamily, if someone's unfamiliar with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that scalability is one of the main things that I like about multifamily. You know, when I started in real estate, I thought, you know, I was toying with the idea of maybe buying single family homes, maybe fix and flips. And I realized that uh, very early on, I started, of course, to study it. I realized that I can take only 10 mortgages. And then if I, I was married, then my husband can take another 10 and we're capped at 20 doors. And I said, you know what? 20 is, is a small number. That's not what's going to make me extremely successful. That's not the level of success that I want to reach to. And you know, some people for them, three doors, five, 10 doors is, is enough, just, which is totally fine. But I was in a different you know, place. And I said, why not look at multifamily? Um, and then um, I started to, to look into it. And I like the fundamentals. I like where it was going. I, I looked at data. I'm very data driven. And I, liked it. I, I looked at the data. More and more people are looking to rent over own. And this trend has just, yeah, just gotten you know, stronger and stronger, especially today. Um, and it, the, the economies of scale w- was amazing. You hire a few people to manage 100 units, 200, 300 units. So instead of doing the research, signing the mortgage, you know, documents, negotiating with the seller, do all that for one door or five doors. <laughs> I can do it for 500. And, you know, the, the, it's, if I have a 500 units and 50 doors, I'd say 10% just disappear in the middle of the night, don't pay rent. And I cannot rent those apartments. I'm, I can still cash flow, but if I have 10% even of a, you know, a, a much smaller building or single family home that I buy for investment, if I have two months of one month out of the year without any renters, I may be negative, you know, and my cash flow may be negative. So just economies of scale and understanding, I understood pretty early on that the bigger the asset, the actually the more, the safer it is because you have many more doors that can compensate for that door that is not producing any income. 
these are all the things that made me um, really like multifamily. I was also a renter in, in the past. So it's something that speaks to me. I understand it. Most people do. Most people rented, you know, at least for a year in their lifetime. And they understand, you know, what's attractive to tenants, what's not. And that's, that's basically why I prefer multifamily. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, my goal, I had uh, four or five single families. My goal was to get to 30. And then I have a cousin who wisely gave me some advice. So that sounds like a lot of work. Why don't you do multifamily? And so that's kind of led me on a road. And so, mm-hmm. you know, $120 million in, in multifamily later, here we are. But it's, it's amazing yeah. how it, like you said, it's truly scalable. And then we have other things like tax advantages. And then especially for an investor, that's a busy person, they really can be passive. And, and even if, whether you're active or, or passive, it's just, you can get really, really good management to kind of help yeah. out with every element of it, which is great. Um, Ellie, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about kind of where the market is now. I know there's a lot of things happening since COVID. Things have kind of been heating up. Uh, it's hard to find deals. Um, there's a lot of speculation over all the money printing leading to inflation, which is, you know, obviously it's a, uh, these are very inflationary trends, but then you have things like the Fed saying, oh yeah, we're going to raise rates soon. Um, how do you foresee kind of, uh, and maybe just kind of the timing of the next, you know, next 12 months or so of what that's going to look like in 2022, as far as multifamily. Yeah, I think that the, the space is still going to be very solid, very attractive. Um, got to remember that with inflation, I mean, wages are up, but also rents. And so, and, and we, see, we already see it in markets like Atlanta um, and like Texas, we already see the increases, significant increases in rents. Um, inventory is probably going to be better than, than 2021. And I think when, you know, when the feds are going to raise rent, the, uh, the rates, it might maybe, maybe the market might cool off a bit, but not by much because even an increase in interest rates is not going to, they're not going to go up to, you know, a significant amount. They're not going to go up 200% overnight. It's going to be a gradual increase. Um, and there's still a lot of capital out there. There's still going to be capital that was not deployed this year, even though I think pretty much a significant portion of it has been already deployed. So we're still going to have significant amount next year, but not as much. It's not going to be as much pressure as it was, or as it is still in 2021. Um, but I think still the trends are very, very solid. And with everything that is happening with the single family home market, there's going to be fewer and fewer home buyers, you have, um, you know, very tight inventory and large companies that are buying single family homes and managing them as as portfolios. So all those, you know, homes are out of the market. Um, But you have, uh, so you have fewer people that can afford to become homeowners and they're going to look for, you know, rental property. They're going to look for an apartment to rent. Um, and of course, with remote work, uh, with that environment, you have more and more people that are going to secondary, uh, you know, markets, tertiary markets like Atlanta, you know, Dallas. So not everyone wants to live in California anymore, which, uh, you know, I don't understand that because I think California is great. <laughs> you're, you're moving back, right? You're coming back. Yeah, I know. Yes. Um, but, um, it, it means that there's more, more to offer if you go to the suburbs 
And this is where we've always, you know, even in Atlanta, we've always looked at the suburbs, not this, the city, you know, the core. Um, but we, we looked at sub markets around it because this is where we found the value. And so I think that, um, you know, 2022 is going to be a very good year for multifamily. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's, regardless of what happens with interest rates, um, I think, you know, single family, who knows? I mean, it depends how quickly they raise rates or what happens, but um, I think multifamily, like a place like Atlanta, we have a couple of properties in Atlanta and, you know, they're expecting population to grow by something like 30 to 40% over the next nine, 10 years, which is crazy, right? I mean, just where do you put all the people? And so that's a, a great recipe if you own uh, real estate there already. So it's really great. Um, so I guess, you know, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit. If someone is, um, I guess we'll do a couple of things here. Let's say someone is, is done some things actively in multifamily and they're looking to grow or even just for myself, like, okay, we're at 120 million. We want to get to 500 million. What is the step? What are the steps that need to be done to get there? Is it, you mentioned partnership. What are some of the yeah. things that people can do to be able to get to the next level? I would say two main things. One is to partner with someone who um, can help them get there. So if you can bring 20, 30 million, then partner with someone who can bring deals and manage them. And if you can bring 10 million, then manage, you know, partner with someone who can bring another 10 and together you can do larger deals. Um, the second thing is just to focus on your team, grow a team, build a, you know, pretty robust um uh, system that will allow you will allow the team to review as many deals as possible, um, underwrite them pretty quickly, put a you know an LOI out there because it's a numbers game. The more deals you review, the more deals you're gonna end up owning, and do the same with investor relations slash marketing. So you know have someone pay someone good to create a, an, in, you know, a, a, a marketing strategy and implement it. And so your brand is going to be exposed to more investors. So the more investors come to you and reach out to you, the more you can raise, the more deals you can close. I would say focus on those, you know, building your team and partner. Um, it could be either, or that's basically what's going to help you scale and close larger deals. That's great. Now, if someone is more passive and, you know, they're a busy person that, so, you know, that's great, Ellie, that you're doing these big deals, but I just want to invest and get a good return. And, uh, you know, what advice yeah. do you have to somebody who's new, who's kind of just dipping their toe in saying, how do I get started? Or what are some things I should learn before I get going as a passive investor? Yeah, absolutely. So how to get started is basically do research and reach out to multiple sponsors after you've done some you know, some, some, uh, background or, uh, some research on to make sure that you, un you understand their message to you like their messaging, you like the assets in the markets that they investing. And when you speak with them, I would say, you know, always ask them about their past performance. Have they always paid on time? Have they paid their pref? Have they exited any deals? What is the IRR? So try to understand how, you know, how strong are they when it comes to performance? Um, and then the second part, you know, I, I always get this question, are you investing your own money in the deals? So I would be hesitant as, as a limited partner to invest in, um, 
with someone who doesn't invest their own money because if they have money they don't invest in it then if it's not good enough for you why would I invest in it and if you do and if you don't have money to enough to invest then how are you managing such a large you know property so that's always kind of you know something to, to pay attention to um, another question that I like you know the investors ask me is tell me about the time that um, that uh, you know something went wrong. Mm-hmm. And you really want to listen to what the sponsor says if they're trying to sugarcoat it or if they're honest and telling you, okay, this is what happened. This is what I did. And this is what I've learned from it and how I became smarter. Because it doesn't matter how experienced a sponsor is. Real estate, things always happen. There's always something that you did not expect. You always learn yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, I would say, spend time speaking with the sponsor or their team and, um, Try to understand if you if you feel comfortable with them and ask to see, you know, prior deals. If they don't have a current deal that is relevant and see if you like their business plan, their, the way they underwrite. Um, many investors that just begin investing, they're not going to, of course, run the numbers, um, but look at their performa. And when you look at the performa, just look at one line, the NOI. And look at how much is the NOI today before they buy the property? How much is it in year one? This, if, if I were to look at anything, just look at that. Is there a 30% growth in NOI? That's very, very hard to do. Very hard. Um, and so if that's what it takes to pay investors, not sure they can get there. They might, but just make sure that you're comfortable with it. Yeah, I think that's great. You mentioned kind of some rules of conservative underwriting, as well as, you know, uh, what, what's gone wrong in a deal. Also, do they have skin in the game? Those are great, great tips yeah. for investors. And yeah, things like this podcasts and, and shows and going to live events, meeting other passive investors that have invested with different people. That's also a great way to do it. Online presence is also another way as well. Um, Ellie, uh, this has been really great. I just wanted to say, you know, over the years, I know we've kind of known each other for a few years and I just have appreciated the, you know, all the value that you bring and just the way that you bring, like you said, a real uh, data driven approach and you have a very technical way just with your background as well as looking at things. And I just really see you as as a, as a true leader in this field. It's no surprise that you've been so successful. And so pretty soon I hope to see you at a a billion, two billion through whatever your goals are. I'm really excited uh, for you with all that, but just want to say, I appreciate all that you've added to this uh, world. When you come back to LA, we'll have to have you at our local Los Angeles uh, Phoebe meetup as well. So if anybody's local yeah, in Los Angeles, we'll have, to. have you come back for that. So uh, what's the way people can get in touch with you, Ellie? Um, the best way is to go to my website, bluelake-capital.com. You can um, type Blue Lake Capital on Google or type my name, Ellie Perlman on Google, and you're probably going to see the link to the website. Awesome. Ellie, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Bronson. Thank you for having me. So Ellie Perlman is super sharp, as you can tell, and just, you know, has a background as a lawyer, has done all kinds of different things. And it's amazing when you are in multifamily, the skills that you have before apply to what you're doing now. So for me, I've had a lot of things in sales and communications. It's allowed me to raise over $20 million for real estate deals. Um, you know, and maybe if you're more passive, you're thinking, hey, well, I'm, I didn't want to necessarily want to do that. But, uh, you know, really seeing experienced operators that are doing a great job, that are conservative on their underwriting and, you know, are really trying to get back to the community, I really value. So hopefully you got a lot out of this uh, interview. 
And uh, you know, we're going to have more great guests coming up. We've got a great lineup coming up over the next uh, few weeks. Really excited about it. Uh, if you haven't been over to our website, bronsonequity.com, we're doing deals regularly. You can get on our, on our investor list. Um, also, we have our, our ebook, which is the single best investing strategy during and after pandemic. It talks about all the amazing advantages of multifamily. So check that out. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.